Hello everybody, welcome back to Better Than Bad. As always, I'm your host Jess. Today I'm joined by a very special guest because today I am joined by Nicole. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. I'm really excited for our little discussion today. Do you want to tell the people who we're going to be talking about today? Absolutely, I do. So today we will be discussing the one and only Emma Thompson. See, this is, I'm very excited for this one because (laughs) she's one of my favorite actresses of all time. (laughs) So when, well, I put a list out and I was like, right, here's some people I want to talk about. And I put this and you put Emma on there. And I was really hoping that someone would be like me. (laughs) I want to talk about her. Um, And I'm, yeah, and you did. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) Um, I want to start off this episode with um, like, a shameless brag. <laughs> okay. I have actually met Emma Thompson. <gasps> oh my God, that's amazing. I've met, I've had a conversation with her. Um, I was working front of house at a theatre and she happened to come and see oh, the show and they needed oh. someone to take her backstage. And the story goes that my colleague Connie had actually been asked to take her backstage but then Connie was like nope I'm sorry I can't do it you have to ask Jess because she's her biggest fan oh, <laughs> which is like that. the most selfless thing anyone's ever done I was gonna me. say like Connie's a real one <laughs> shout out to Connie um yeah. and yeah they let me take her backstage and um introduce her to the cast and then I had a nice little conversation I got to tell her that she's one of the reasons I wanted to become an actor um which was very special and then she gave me a massive hug and I've got a really cool picture with her (laughs) oh that's so lovely oh my gosh so that's my little story and she's as nice as she seems in all of her interviews because sometimes I've met a few celebrities and some of them have been a bit (laughs) yeah I feel like I consistently hear, though, from anyone who meets her, that she really is as nice as you want her to be. Um, So for those who don't know, although I don't know how anyone couldn't know who she is, um, (laughs) Emma Thompson is an Oscar-winning actor and screenwriter. Um, She's highly regarded as one of the best actors of her generation. She won her first Oscar for Howard's End, which is my personal favourite film of hers um and she later won her second oscar for writing the screenplay for sense and sensibility and she also started it she's appeared in numerous films including the harry potter series love actually and more recently good luck to you leo grande her highest rated film that we're going to be talking about today is in the name of the father which has 8.1 stars on imdb it's actually tied for her top film with the final harry potter film Um, But she's literally in that film for like 20 seconds. Uh, (laughs) Didn't think we want to spend the whole time talking about that. Um, And then her lowest rated film is a film called Junior, which has 4.7 stars. And me and Nicole were talking about this before we started recording, but we we feel like we've got the scope. Yes. (laughs) The scope of her career and her ability within these two films it's so funny too because you know she is someone who really has like done it all like she's done you know animated films and movie musicals and comedy and drama and you know children's movies and and everything and I feel like today we have like lowbrow comedy and then like highbrow drama like two ends Mm -hmm. of the spectrum (laughs) yeah it's 
it's kind of crazy because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's also weird because we'll, we'll get onto it when we talk about Junior in more depth. But that kind of, I feel like that kind of comedy, that very um, mid-budget comedy yeah. doesn't really exist anymore um, yeah. for, better, for better or for worse. <laughs> <laughs> it's also quite funny that these films like happen to be like from two years in a row. Mm-hmm. Um like in the name of the father came out in what 93 and then junior was 94. So it's strange that it would be the highest and lowest rated. <laughs> yeah. They really, it's a weird few years for. Yes. yes. <laughs> We're going to start off by talking about in the name of the father, because it did come out first. Mm-hmm. So I have just a little bit of background for anybody who doesn't know this film. So like I said, it has 8.1 stars on IMDb and it has a Rotten Tomatoes rating of 94% so it's very highly regarded um, it premiered in December of 1993 in Ireland before receiving a wider release in February of 1994 the film was directed by Jim Sheridan and co-written by Sheridan and Terry George it is based on the book Proved Innocent by Jerry Conlon little synopsis for you although this is quite a complicated piece so I'm I'm, I'm gonna do my best um the film follows the story of Jerry Conlon who was falsely accused of masterminding an IRA bombing on a pub in Guildford he alongside three others are in prison for something they didn't do and in an effort to get Jerry a lawyer before he's sent to prison his father Giuseppe flies to London where he and six others are falsely accused and imprisoned for providing the materials to build the bomb Giuseppe spends his time in prison attempting to prove his innocence so uh, you've you'd seen this film before because you told me that this was one of your favorites yes I saw it for the first time uh during the pandemic in like I think summer 2020 which was interesting timing to watch a movie like this it's all sort of about uh you know government's mishandling cases and Mm. and things like that uh and this is actually i have to say my favorite daniel day lewis performance mm-hmm. uh, i am someone who sometimes thinks like oh daniel day lewis is quite overrated like you know whatever and then i watch like this or the eighth innocence and i'm like oh never mind mm. <laughs> um and it's, it's a really interesting performance from emma thompson too i think you know uh fairly early on in her career and and definitely a supporting role Rewatching, it i was kind of like oh yeah she's She's missing for like a large chunk. Mm-hmm. She sort of dots in at the beginning um, as just not saying anything, no lines. And then her main bulk of her performance is really within the last 20 minutes of the film. Yeah. And this isn't like a, this isn't a short film by any means. It's two hours no. and 13 minutes long. Um it needs all of those two hours and 13 minutes, I would say. Sometimes mm-hmm. I find with long films, I spend my time being like, you could cut 45 minutes out of this, babe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this one, it needs that that length. There's a lot to get through. There's a mm. lot um, to discuss. It's about a particular period in time that is very complex um, and isn't particularly well educated about either within schooling systems unless you're in Ireland um even in the UK we're not really taught about the Irish troubles as we should be considering we're a huge part of it um so it's one of those ones where they needed all that time but Emma is only in it for you know probably about 30 minutes in the whole in the whole runtime yeah but I mean he makes the most of that 30 minutes I will say Absolutely, absolutely. This for me was the first time I'd seen this film. 
I'll be oh, completely wow. honest, I hadn't even heard of it. Um, <laughs> and then it popped up and I saw the cast. This has got an incredible cast. Um, as you said, Daniel Day-Lewis, Emma Thompson, and um, Pete Postlethwaite, who, the late great, one of the yeah. best actors I think that has ever walked this earth. Um, and just this, and, and the whole supporting cast as well, just really bring this piece into into this just like incredibly emotional and like it's kind of really hard to watch at points I found myself getting really choked up especially because you know it's a true story and you you think god the the injustice of it all when you just sit there thinking exactly how could this have ever happened and it's how could this have ever happened but also I'm not surprised because it, it stuff like this still happens today yeah. um so it's still very timely despite the fact that this was, you know, it's a film that's set in the 70s and was made um, in 1993. It's still very much something that is a talking point even now. Absolutely. It's like one of those things where you sort of hate how timely it is. Like, I wish that it wasn't, but unfortunately it really is still. Yeah, which is very depressing. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) To sort of bring it into like Emma Thompson for a moment I think this Mm. is a part that is quite it's very understated performance from her um I imagine the type of actor that she is I imagine that she knew the importance of this Mm storyline and the importance that even though her character is obviously extremely important in the overall story it's not her character's story so I think it was quite nice to see her be able to take a little bit of a step back and just kind of exist within the realm of what she needed to do if that makes absolutely. sense absolutely absolutely yeah if people haven't seen this film and they they want to watch it I will warn you like it is heavy in places but it's kind of I almost feel like it's a necessary watch I totally agree it's the kind of thing that you know I wish that it was sort of more popular and that that more people had watched it because I also like at the time that I came across it, hadn't really heard anything of it. Um, but just saw like, Oh, Hey, a film from this era with Daniel day Lewis and Emma Thompson, like, you know, why not? And like you said, it is a very heavy watch because I think that it's, it's also heavier in that as you're watching, being aware that it's based on a real story, it's, you know, sort of harder to get away from what a difficult watch it is but all the more difficult for that. And I think they do a really good job with sort of how they they treat, you know, this whole case within the context of it, of it being based in truth. It's set to the backdrop of um, the troubles, but it's not necessarily about the troubles, if that makes sense. Right. I feel like it, they, they do something really nice in that. Obviously, that's the backdrop, and we, we get a little bit of the both sides of that. But the real you know, antagonist of it all isn't one side of the troubles or the other. It really is the government and how they're going mm-hmm. about sort of prosecuting these people. Yeah, it's the the justice system that they put in mm-hmm. place. It's the um, the British contempt for the Irish and how they yeah. were so quick to look. At that time, the government was very eager to look like they had control over the situation because it was almost mm-hmm. like guerrilla warfare at this point you know there's car bombs and bombings of pubs in this um situation 
And it was this sense of like, we've got to show people that we have control over it, which is why they introduced such like dodgy legislation, um, like being able to hold people for seven days without charging them. And it's, it's one of those movies that I don't know about you, but I feel like, you know, now that I've seen it multiple times now and like every time I watch it, it just makes me so angry. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, it's that good sort of productive kind of anger, I think. Yeah, it's one of those ones where you watch it and you see the way that human beings Mm -hmm. will rise against something and will fight to prove their innocence or whatever it might be. And I think the sort of the saddest part of this story is um, Giuseppe. Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen the film, please... Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> switch off the yeah. podcast now um giuseppe unfortunately dies in prison that was what happened in real life um, mm. and jerry conlin spent the majority of his life after he was released pro- trying to prove and and you know his his father's innocence um which is devastating because yeah. you see this kind of like this relationship between the the two that's quite strained is the arguably the sort of typical father son relationship where they're kind of butting heads a lot of the time Mm -hmm. um but there's a lot of love there there's a lot of admiration and appreciation and um Giuseppe's just stern kind of like no I'm gonna keep doing this I'm gonna keep campaigning and I will prove that I'm innocent because I am and I know I am and the fact that the only reason he got caught up in this was because he made the decision to fly over to London (laughs) to Mm -hmm. try and get him a lawyer you just think to yourself if he'd have if he'd have not made that decision if he'd have stayed yeah you know in in Northern Ireland in Belfast would would this whole thing have happened would he have ended up in jail no he wouldn't have and the how the whole story would have played out differently but then you can within the context of the film I don't want to theorize too much on the real life people because I don't Mm -hmm. know them and I I personally haven't read the book um but in terms of the context of the film he the character of Giuseppe acts as a very much like a moral anchor point for Mm -hmm. Jerry to kind of refer back to when he gets involved in some dodgy dealings within the prison he kind of brings him back down to reality and Pete Postlethwaite I just I need a moment I know this isn't an episode about him but my god (laughs) you know when you watch someone you're like god you can act (laughs) okay truly truly I heard a fun story actually that um when he auditioned for this he'd heard that Daniel Day-Lewis was going to be involved and he knew that Daniel Day-Lewis was a method actor so when he turned up for the audition they were like oh is this Pete Postlethwaite and he was like no this is um this is Jerry (laughs) this is Giuseppe Conlon (laughs) Oh, Giuseppe Conlon and did the whole accent and was there ready to go. Oh, I love that. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. I love when someone is so dedicated to like really wanting a role and then they get it like that. That character's the emotional anchor point for the whole film. I think it's the um the thing that people go back to to remind them of of where they're at. Obviously the the protagonist of this is Jerry. But you find yourself going back to Giuseppe a lot and there's that little moments in the direction where Jerry will be doing something 
arguably stupid <laughs> in the prison yeah. and then you just flash over to Giuseppe and you see him watching and it's this kind of idea that brings it back to the, I mean it brings it back to the ne- the whole name of the film in the name of the father this idea mm-hmm. of like his his dad being there um watching what he was doing and and ultimately trying to encourage him to go down this path to just prove beyond all doubt that they were innocent yeah and it's I think that that sort of being at the heart of the film is part of what makes it so powerful um because of the way that the film is able to sort of combine the political and the personal like that uh I think makes it easy to get very wrapped up in Mm -hmm. and it's a very I don't know about you but I felt very anxious watching this film I think that was the point. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the most anxiety-inducing moment for me was when they were doing the interrogation. Oh my because, gosh, yes. And again, a really clever piece of direction because they could have like, it's quite a long time that you're on that that section, mm-hmm. but you, they could have been even longer because obviously the idea that they kept them in there for seven days. But you just see over this kind of like montage moment, this just slow progression of jerry getting more and more broken down and you're and he's steadfast in his like you know i'm i'm innocent i'm innocent i'm innocent i didn't do this and then breaks down when ultimately the the guy comes in and goes i'm i'm gonna shoot your father yeah i also think they do so much interesting camera work in that sequence and like the amount of times you have these really tight shots on Jerry that Mm. feels so claustrophobic and obviously it's you know sort of to reflect the way that they're interrogating him and everything and I think that that all also adds to the anxiety that I think you can't help but feel while you're watching him go through it and then it's you know that feeling of being an outsider looking in and having no you can't you can't change anything you can't stop Mm -hmm. um anything from happening and you just kind of have to watch and and let it be and that's annoying and frustrating and then when you see the way that they coerce a confession out of him making them sign statements that were not even written then they could write whatever they want in there is just like these crazy tactics that they were using that again like i said earlier aren't particularly um like shocking we know that this has happened we know that it probably still happens I'm not out here trying to get sued. So yeah. allegedly, <laughs> we know that it allegedly still happens. Yeah. So it's this kind of frustrating watch that ends in a in a moment of um, levity, but tinged with this sadness that you know that the you know the dad didn't get to to get to the end point. Absolutely, and that just makes it you know all the more heartbreaking. Um, It's like you said, it's such a difficult watch, but it's so worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And I think the opening scene is 10 out of 10. Mm. What a way to open a film. Like he gets mistaken for a a sniper because he's holding a stick (laughs) on a roof. (laughs) And then you're running through the streets of Belfast and all those people coming out just throwing rocks and whatever else they could, petrol bombs, you name it. It really got the the idea of where they were at, what yeah. was going on, straight on in your mind without it being like, 
I don't know, some like text overlaying the picture. In 1974, there was the Irish Troubles and and doing a whole history class. Yep. It was like, no, this is this is where we're at. You know enough about what's going, what went on in Ireland to put the pieces together. Let's just here we are. This is we're in Belfast, and this is what's going on. Exactly, and I think it's also so fitting just because of you know jerry's own sort of understanding of an involvement with the troubles is also not one that really requires you to understand you know all the nuance of it mm -hmm. so it feels like they very easily could have sort of over explained um but it's more important that we just sort of understand the world that he's living in and i think that opening sequence is such a good way to set it up yeah, and sets up this idea that, you know, you know he's not a member of the IRA, so it makes it even more frustrating when they accuse mm -hmm. him of being. Um, because he has a run-in with the IRA. His dad has to come in and be like, please don't hurt him. Like, it's fine. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll ship him off to England. You yeah. never have to see his face again. Just just don't do anything. Um, so you know he's not part of that world. You know he doesn't really care for it. Um, not because he doesn't care about northern ireland or or any of that it's that he just isn't political um yeah we hear that line itself from giuseppe is like my son's not political my son's not political um so it sets up the character really well and it sets up the setting um and where these people were at the whole family as well um i thought the bit with the the little sister running in and just mm. like screaming at her dad they've got our jerry yes. they've got our jerry it just sets it all up really well um yeah i i also love that section in london sort of you know that comes after that because it is one of those things that i can see where it very easily another director might have shortened it and and you know because it's not as necessary for the story that they're telling, but I think it's so important for the setting up of Jerry's character mm -hmm. that we see that he really is this hippie who's all about this, you know, make love, not war type of yeah. thing. And so it really helps us to have this idea that like, there's no way this is a man who could have been involved with this sort of bombing or something, you know, yeah. all he wants to do is, you know, hang out with the other hippies and, do drugs and stuff uh <laughs> which first of all i think that's also quite fun and sort of setting up the cultural moment that this is all taking place in but i think it, it gives us an idea of like this is not a guy i think that you think like oh yeah he's gonna be okay in prison um and i think that that helps you sort of have this idea that uh he's you know not at all the sort of political figure that you know they want to accuse him of being exactly but yeah the whole the way the way it's directed and i've i i've not seen anything um that jim sheridan has done i was just having a quick look to see if i'd seen anything else and um off the known for section i haven't and i just thought it was really really well put together um and directed to make you kind of really feel <laughs> this piece and and go along yeah. with it and um you know understand and root for these characters without trying to um because I think sometimes with things like this I don't know about you but sometimes people try and f figure out if 
they actually did it and there was no room for that there was no room for doubt in people's mind it was like no he was never there he was never involved he never would be because you know him as a character now and it set it up perfectly absolutely we have to bring it into emma because it is her episode (laughs) so emma plays a character called um gareth pierce don't be confused by the name yeah (laughs) When I, when I first, I was like, Gareth, interesting. Um, so Gareth Pierce is a real life um, lawyer. She changed her name to Gareth Pierce. I don't, there isn't actually this particular reason. I tried to find a reason as to why she changed her name, um, mm. but um, there wasn't one. But yeah, she changed her name to Gareth Pierce when she started um, practicing law. And she comes in, she's sort of a human rights lawyer. She comes in and um, basically helps jerry conlon um and giuseppe conlon to in their case to prove their innocence um she's a very interesting character i i know i said it earlier that she's quite understated in this film but she has a lot of there's still a lot of depth there with despite the fact that she has only like got 30 minutes of screen time i feel like she really pulls out this character and how she is so dedicated to what's going on but beyond that she's also um very kind of willing to do what she needs to do mm-hmm. <laughs> to get to the point where she can prove these these guys that that these guys are innocent absolutely and i think it's also just such a cool role for emma thompson to have taken on because the fact that you know the conlins did have this female lawyer in this time period i think is so amazing and mm-hmm. you know i think that her work is really admirable and you know she's gone on and worked uh on other really important cases as well so i think that to see someone like emma thompson playing uh a figure like this who really is quite important even though she's not someone you know whose name most people would know Mm -hmm. i think is so awesome Mm -hmm. it's one of my favorite moments in the film is when she's getting all of the information from um, the police files. And there was, there's just so happens to be one day where the regular police files guy, I don't know what that job is, archivist, um, isn't there. And the guy mistakenly gives her Jerry Conlin's files rather than Giuseppe's. Um, yeah. And it's one of those real moments where you're like, ha. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes, she's got the information that she needs. <laughs> and you feel really like vindicated. <laughs> like, yes, okay. Yeah, okay. Um, and when she pulls out that note in court, I'm like, slay. <laughs> she just like pulls it out. She's like, why was this in here? <laughs> it's like, oh, stop. Can you imagine? Like the drama of it all. Um getting really caught up in the film aspect of this Jess this is a real story but also like the drama um yeah just her character is like we say it's not in it for a particularly long time um obviously a very important character but as always I don't think I've ever seen a bad performance from Emma Thompson so it seems almost like a mute point to say oh she was amazing in it because we all know but she was amazing in it (laughs) It is one of those things where I feel like she's an actress who, when she's in, like, a bad movie, and there there are a few, she's mm-hmm. still great, one of the best things in it. So then whenever she's in a great film like this one, where everyone is actually, like, matching her level, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. such a treat. But she, she really is 
so good in this performance. And, you know, it's not one of her like showier roles per se, but I still think it's, it's a really great performance. And I'm so happy that like, you know, at the time it was, it was recognized with some nominations. Mm-hmm. Some of my favorite performances, in fact, my favorite performances from Emma Thompson have been the ones where she's been a lot quieter and like understated. Mm-hmm. And I find those really compelling to watch. She's like it in Howard's End. Um, yes really beautiful performance there that's very layered but like contained um remains of the day is another one where she's like that and I think more recently in good luck to you Leo Grande there's there's that element as well to her performance um where she really just has this sort of this quietness with something bubbling underneath and I think that to me is great acting when I see that. Don't get me wrong. We all love a big showy moment where someone's screaming at someone and there's tears running down their face and you're like, oh my God, they're in it. But for me, like the (laughs) moments of pure, like where I'm watching and I'm like, wow, that's just like, you've, you've got me is when you can control an audience and have them like on the edge of their seat in just complete kind of quietness and silence and just that compelling performance. And I think she does that in this, so well um and I think her standout probably is that courtroom scene yeah. where she really holds her own she has those moments where she's like yelling and she's like no they, they are innocent but for the most part she's kind of like this very calm person who's bringing people in and like drawing them in Absolutely. And I also think it's so good within the film because she really does sort of feel like this almost calm within the storm of everything that's been going on. And you can see how, you know, having someone like her really would make someone in Jerry or Giuseppe's situation feel like, okay, this is a woman who, who if anyone is capable of helping, it's her. Mm, definitely. So. <laughs> so. I'm going to move on. <laughs> To our next film. <laughs> Change <laughs> tones entirely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, everybody take a deep breath, reset. We're going to be talking about something a little bit different. Um, our second film is called Junior. Um, as I said earlier, it has 4.7 stars on IMDb and a Rotten Tomatoes rating of 39%. The film premiered in November of 1994. It's directed by... Um, Ivan Reitman and co-written by Kevin Wade and Chris Conrad. How to describe this film? Um, (laughs) So Arnold Schwarzenegger plays Alex Hess, who is a scientist who is working alongside Larry, played by Danny DeVito, to develop a drug that will help women carry pregnancy to full term. When the The team are told that the drug has not been approved for further um, trials and testing. They take matters into their own hands and impregnate Alex himself using the drug to maintain the pregnancy. Yeah. (laughs) It's as wild as that, guys. (laughs) Yep. So this... (laughs) Had you seen this film before? I had not. I wonder why. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, this is a film that I knew of because when I discovered who Emma Thompson was, I have this really bad thing that when I discover an actor, I'm like, I'm going to watch every single thing they've ever been in. Um, I had yeah. not watched this, but I knew of it. And I, I, I thought I had watched it until I watched it. And I was like, there's no way I've seen this before because why am I getting like, like absolutely gagged and gooped by, 
different situation. If you had seen it before, your brain did you a favor and blocked it out. Quite possibly. I think I'd seen clips and I was like, you know what? I'm going to give that a miss. And then here we are. Lowest rated. (laughs) Have to watch it. Um, It is... It is one of those films that is of that time in like the sort of mid to late mm-hmm. 90s where all of those really sort of weird and wacky comedy films were coming out where at some point the man dresses like a woman and you're just like, oh, here we go, another one of these. Um, and it fell into that kind of like spectrum of just wacky comedies that make no sense and yeah. arguably aren't even that funny. <laughs> okay, that was the thing that really struck me about this is that I was like this is a premise that depends on being funny for it to work at all. And it, it's just not very funny. Mm, it's not. And <laughs> I think well, let's start off with the elephant in the room, which is um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, <laughs> oh, okay, The fact that they have to make his character like Austrian American. Uh, Right, okay, so I think genuinely he is a great action film star. Terminator, I get it. We get it. It makes sense. But with this, Emma Thompson was acting with a brick wall. (laughs) Okay. Literal brick wall. And I think that because of that, like the worst element of it is that sort of like romance attempt. Zero chemistry. You're like, (laughs) absolutely zero. No, that like there could be someone that Emma Thompson wouldn't have chemistry with because I feel like she has chemistry with almost every co-star I've ever seen her with. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, oh, we found the exception to the rule. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching, I was like, oh God, Emma is working with nothing. I bet she was sat there like, please give me something. <laughs> okay, it truly, his performance is a definition of like, yes, King, give us nothing. <laughs> like... <laughs> He also just looks, and I I know part of it is like maybe the character, but the entire time it just looks like he absolutely hates this film. Like <laughs> he does not want to be there. He's he looks so out of place as well because he's like because he's Arnold Schwarzenegger and he's like Bill. He's a beefcake man, and then you see him there in his little suit and his little briefcase that is like half the size of him because he's so tall and big and you're just like who are you who are you supposed to be before we even get to how unbelievable he looks when they're trying to pass him off as a woman i don't buy this man as a scientist let alone putting him in a bloody wig and a and a old woman's dress he, he comes like that first scene where he's this you know doing all his sciencey stuff um you could tell i am not a scientist sciencey stuff yeah. and um you're just looking at him going you look you there's no way you know what any of this means literally <laughs> like, like he's, he's got pure himbo energy like in one ear out the other <laughs> yes like there's just no way that i buy this man as especially the sort of like groundbreaking scientist that he's meant to be like I'm so sorry but I also feel like they never fully like quite get you on board with why this man would be working on the project that he's working on like even Mm. with when it's with these like monkeys I'm like really that's that's what he studies 
Well, because the thing is, at the beginning of the film, there's a very weird opening sequence where Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. is walking through a, a library, and there's just this random baby just like chilling in <laughs> in the library, and he's like in his Austrian accent, like "Hello, there is a baby," and you're just like, "What is going on?" And then that's you, quite a good impression of him. <laughs> thank you. I I worked really hard on that. <laughs> Three years of acting training coming in strong. Um, he he then picks up the baby and he's running around this library like what do I do the baby pees on him he's like oh great and then all these other children appear and then he wakes up like it's some kind of nightmare and then he spends his whole time like the whole beginning part of the film really expressing the fact that he doesn't like kids and yet his field of study is to a drug that will allow people to have children okay it literally makes no sense like I feel like they could have worked around it if they like were actually thinking about anything, but I I feel like very little brain power went into the script. Mm. But it would be one thing if they were trying to sell us on a like, oh, he he likes kids, he's just afraid of being a father or something. Mm. But no, they really sell us that like this is a man whose greatest fear is finding a baby in a library on its own. Um and then are like, but he's dedicated his life to trying to ensure that people can have babies like it doesn't make sense it's so dumb <laughs> you know when you're like when i'm actually hearing you describe it i'm like this is the stupidest film i think i have ever seen is it the worst film i've ever seen no but it is one of the dumbest <laughs> i would agree though like without a doubt this is Emma Thompson's, and I, I feel like I shouldn't maybe say this. I've not seen everything she's done, but I've seen most of it. This is the worst movie she was ever in. I kept looking at her and being like, how did you end up here, babe? Like, <laughs> no, that's the thing. I've got to find out like what the process was of her getting hired for this, because it doesn't make yeah. sense. <laughs> it does and, not well, make sense. What is interesting to me is I, it's one of those things where I sort of wonder, I'm like, I wonder if it says anywhere, like, at what point did she get cast in this? Because mm. her first film was in 89, and this comes out in 94. So I'm like, now I'm literally like going around trying to figure out like, no, this says she signed on to start in February of 94. Okay, I was like, maybe did this happen before she had this great year in 93? Because to go from in 93, she has much ado about nothing, the remains of the day and in the name of the father mm. and then do junior. And it's the only thing she does in that year. And I guess to be fair, she's definitely like since sensibility comes out the next year. So I guess she's probably like already working on that at the time. And I don't know if she was like, let me do a quick film to get some money that I don't even have to show up for that much while I'm working on this script or something. But like, truly, how did she end up here? The only thing I could think of is that there may have been an expectation that it was going to be like this big American comedy that everybody loved. And then, um, you know, she'd been very much known for the period pieces at this point. Even, I mean, even um, in the name of the father is technically a period piece. So I feel like right. maybe it was like a an effort to break away from that because her start in acting was through comedy. Well, and like in '89, her second film that comes out is The Tall Guy, which is like a a Mel Smith romantic comedy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's written by Richard Curtis has like Jeff Goldblum in her and Rowan Atkinson in it. So I guess maybe this was like her 
having done that and then gone and done a bunch of like quite serious pieces or period pieces being like, oh, let me go back and do a comedy. But it just so clearly (laughs) feels outside of, you know, what you would associate her with because I feel like a lot of her other comedy is quite, you know, she's obviously quite good at comedy, but I feel like there's a, either there's a level of maturity to it or there's a level of camp to it or something. And I feel like that's part of why this movie doesn't work is that if they'd gone in on it and it had been a bit more camp, Mm. it could have worked better. But I really do think that like, obviously there's issues with the script. It's very early nineties. But I really do think Arnold Schwarzenegger is the issue. Like, I think with a different leading man, it could have been funny. And she's, and because Emma Thompson's character is, she's quite like, she's like a clumsy, ditzy scientist. So she's super smart, but she's very clumsy. She's constantly falling over. There's a character there. There's something to play with. I do want to say, like, special mention to Emma Thompson's hair in this film. Um, Hey, hair... (laughs) Her costumes? I was literally like, oh, this is going to be my, like, fall wardrobe inspiration now. Yeah. Um, she looks amazing. And I love seeing her as this, like, scientist lady, you know. Um, again, I, I very obviously don't do science. <laughs> but I'm like, wow, you're a science girl. Although I will say, this entire movie, I can only imagine if any of my friends who, like, are in science fields watched it, they'd just be screaming because I feel like they violate like every ethical rule of a scientist oh my god multiple times multiple times um just like the fact that he like steals an egg danny devito is like i need an egg to impregnate um arnold with he's like so i know what i'll do Uh, basically emma thompson's character is doing research on something to do with fertility as well and she has these eggs in storage and so he and Danny DeVito is like you stole our lab I'ma steal your egg so he goes and he steals an egg and then we later find out that it's Emma Thompson's own egg that she's frozen herself which again is very much against ethics I don't think you're allowed to do that um but so she's frozen one of her own eggs because she wants to have children but she doesn't know when she'll get the chance and then they've stolen her egg and impregnated it into um (laughs) it's Arnold (laughs) and so that's what causes the whole oh chaos is actually her her egg and you're just like <sighs> who came up with this i want to know what meeting they sat in and they went hey, hey, i've got an idea and they drew it up on the board and what pitch meeting they were in where someone went that's a great idea that i'm a green light it okay really i can't decide if i think that it is really just that like comedy in the early 90s was like haha what if we put this manly man in a dress and make him pregnant or if there were like drugs involved like <laughs> Maybe both. Maybe both. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> you know, that's probably the truth. And it is that time because it is the, it has a very similar tone. It doesn't do as well as Mrs. Doubtfire, but it has a similar tone to that. It looks very similar as well, the way it's shot, the lighting, yes. the color grading. It is very similar of that kind of vibe, of that kind of there was plastic that, comedy. Like, whole time, I feel like you've got that. You've got Tootsie, like, where it was, mm-hmm. like, peak comedy is just, like... 
put a woman or put a man in a like dress, have a man act as a woman and like not even in a, I mean, I know that that's obviously something that like goes way back in comedy and like, you know, you see it in Panto and everything still, but like, you gotta do more than just put the dress on old Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like <laughs> that whole section felt so pointless. <laughs> okay. Truly. I was like, I'm so bored. Like he just, He's, I think it is really because he's giving nothing. Like, if they had a proper comedian in this role, I think. Like, if you think about, I'm trying to think, like, men from that era. Someone like Robin Williams or, mm-hmm. hell, like, Billy Crystal or somebody who could have really pulled off the comedy of this and the physical comedy and everything. But he just feels so stiff the entire movie. And like he truly has no thoughts at all. Yeah, no thoughts, just vibes. And even the vibes are off. Yeah. Like, yeah. You truly get the idea that every time he's delivering a line, like he's actually just wondering what they're going to have for lunch or something. Or that he doesn't know <laughs> his lines at all and he's reading from a cue card. <laughs> I truly if you told me he was reading off a cue card this entire movie I would be like oh yeah like that tracks (laughs) he was like a brick wall and I just found myself looking at Emma Thompson giving honestly giving everything and just thinking god I'm so sorry there was an interview actually with her on um, Graham Norton where they were talking about Junior really randomly I don't even know why and um, she he was asking her about Arnold Schwarzenegger and she said to um, Graham Norton, went, oh, he's a nice man. She was like, yeah, yeah, he's lovely, really, really courtly and gentlemanly. And he was like, can, can, can he act? And she went, no. <laughs> no, no, he's gone. Oh, God, I love that so much. It's one of those things that, like, and that's not even an insult. That's just a fact. I, I really, in watching this movie, I was like, damn, I have been too hard on Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> like, but I truly was thinking about it and I was like, okay, yeah. I, you know, you see those people who do action movies and then like also try to do comedies. And um, it, it, it works a lot better for some than others. <laughs> and I feel like Arnold Schwarzenegger is literally like the end of the spectrum as it, of it just does not work. Honestly, the best scenes in this are anything that involves Emma Thompson. And I'm not even just saying yes. that, the, that because this is her episode. Um, but she's got you know, the best scenes and the best moments. But I do feel like there's this error about her. And I don't, I don't even think it's because like, I know that she's Emma Thompson and I know her career after this, because even I feel like people who saw this in 1994 must've been like, girl, what are you doing? Like Mm -hmm. you are way out of their league here. She's really like both, the best part of this movie but extremely out of place i don't know how she's managed that <laughs> she has um it's so... she's, she's in a different film than the rest yeah, of them man. are in but in a good way girl got a different script <laughs> i just want to know what i, I want to know what went through her brain like she's on set and she's you know yeah. giving and then she says this line and then arnold schwarzenegger just responds with like yes <laughs> I want to. <laughs> there must be a take somewhere. Their first ever take together, where she literally just goes, "Sorry, can I just have a moment?" Okay, <laughs> truly. Okay, now this is quite dark. This is bad of me to say, but it just occurred to me. Do you know what else came out in '94? No. 
Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And do you know what Mary Shelley's Frankenstein uh, is in relevance to Emma Thompson's life? Oh, with Mr. Kenneth Branagh. The movie uh, on which Kenneth Branagh and Helena Bottom Carter had their affair. Yeah. Um. So I'm literally like, well, she, <laughs> she's doing this mess of a movie at the same time. <laughs> and like, listen, I, hey, when most people say I am a child of divorce, they mean like Taylor Swift and Harry Styles. I say it frequently and I'm talking about Emma Thompson and Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> uh, I love my divorced parents. But, like, truly, if you want to talk about a low point in her life. My God, she's got this film and then that, Emma, babe. Yeah. She probably, like, everyone's like, what were you doing in 1994? And she's like, don't talk to me about it. I don't want to talk about it. It's like the cursed year. (laughs) I don't want to talk about 1994. That that year doesn't exist to me. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) Frankenstein coming at the same time. Yeah, because they separate in 95. Like, oh, God, what a, what a time. Well, because I just I went to look at it because I was like, truly, what is like what happens at this point that she's not working with Kenneth Branagh or like James Ivory or something? We, we're going to we're about to turn into a gossip podcast. If we're not careful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry to do this. I feel myself spiraling. Um, Truly sitting here trying to figure out how on earth this film could have happened. I just don't get it. I don't get how she ended up there. She doesn't deserve it. Because I feel like a lot of the like other like weird films that she does are sort of later on where you kind of assume that she's like, I have a great career. I have, you know, whatever I, I want. I can afford to... Uh, do a dud or two just to collect a paycheck Mm. you know like Mm -hmm. she's in Doolittle and you know that that's her (laughs) being like sure I'll go into the recording studio once or twice and then collect a paycheck like but it just feels it feels early on and in a time of like such success Mm. for her to be doing a movie like this and the only other thing I can think of which I don't want to think this because this concerns me but she might have read that script and thought that's funny (laughs) which I don't want to believe because I believe Emma's better than that I think she has better like sense now I'm literally like sitting here like can I find out how much she was made or how much she was paid for this like how much did she make off of (laughs) really when I met Emma Thompson this is what I should have asked why were you in junior <laughs> not you. Oh, like, the reason I wanted to become an actor. Why did you make this film? <laughs> oh, you know what? Okay, I just found. Apparently, according to this one website, she made one point five million for her role in this movie. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, and now I'm like, okay. To be fair, I don't like period dramas. Don't pay as well as this, probably. <laughs> you know what? Fair enough. <laughs> Emma, we we respect it now. <laughs> Well, we always respect it. Now we understand it. We so understand the choices that yeah. were made here. Um, and like we said, great costume, great hair. To anyone listening to this, on the opposite end of In the Name of the Father, where I was like, go watch it. Make sure you see it if you haven't. If you've not seen Junior, like save yourself. Yeah. <laughs> if, if at any point you've been listening to us talking and going, oh, this has made me curious, don't. Don't let no. you be. Don't let yourself be curious. It's not worth it. The thing is, it's not like bad enough to be good. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. there's a certain level of bad that a film can cross where, like, it's entertaining again, and this is not that. 
yeah, it doesn't have the room effect. It's not like yes. bad enough that you're like, oh, this is kind of iconic because of how bad it is. It's just so mid on so many levels that you just spend your whole time just going, okay. And it is, yeah. like I said, laced with all of those misogyny and everything going on. Yeah. And you're just there like, oh, God, yeah. God's sake. And you can see that as like a product of the time. If we're going to get serious for a moment, like you can see that as a product yeah. of the time and go, okay, well, art doesn't age with us. And so we have to look at it in the context of where it was at that particular moment. And even like you, you know, earlier you compared it to like Mrs. Doubtfire and mm. something like that. Well, it's obviously dated now and like problematic in many ways. It's still funny. Mm. Like, you know, because there's plenty of humor in it. That's not just like, haha, man in dress mm. um whereas this i feel like part of what it's missing is that it kind of was like well it's a comedy just because arnold schwarzenegger is pregnant and then we don't have to make any other attempt at making it funny maybe you could make a film about a man having a pregnancy that would actually be quite interesting and quite funny and like him having to finally understand how you know what women experience and and having that relationship with his body change but this just wasn't it like there's no nuance in it hmm. there's just nothing there's nothing there <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing <laughs> there's literally nothing it is how long is this film it is too long an hour and 50 minutes that is it far too close to two hours <laughs> yeah. for what they are trying to do um and it gives me nothing <laughs> nothing about this movie makes sense and i do feel like there's so many plot lines that they like don't actually develop at all mm. and then it just sort of like moves along and you're like well wait why and then it just like ends <laughs> yes like, oh, okay i mean it made for it i'm glad i watched it because it made for an interesting discussion <laughs> yeah yeah and it definitely um Definitely shows like the two opposite ends of the spectrum of what Emma Thompson has done. Mm -hmm. uh, but on the other hand, like at what cost? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> this is the thing with if like sort of take a moment to talk about her career. She has mm -hmm. is one of those rare actors that kind of has done absolutely everything um yeah and when we say everything i mean everything she's done drama she's done comedy she's done musicals she's done stage plays like everything yeah and and she does all of it so well it's almost frustrating um to watch you're like how dare yeah. you and then she's charming and nice and pretty and you're just like you know what you can't have it all babes um no <laughs> It's too much. Um, but she has this real scope. Um, and I can understand why people regard her as like one of the best actors of her generation. I completely agree. And it is interesting to see. And it, I do think that's why it's kind of good that we got these two films because it really does show that spectrum of like what she can do and what she continues to do and bring to the table. Whenever she's in a film, people immediately are excited by it because they know that she's going to do something good um i thought if you want to watch an emma thompson performance i always recommend um good luck to you leo grande and she's an actor that i think really does bring a lot of nuance and like heart mm. to everything that she does even if she's playing you know a wacky teacher in a magical school or a <laughs> magical nanny with yeah. a wart on her face she brings yeah. like this layer of heart and intrigue and um even characters that aren't particularly likable. I think about her in Saving Mr. Banks, 
that character is really unlikable on so many levels and she brings so much yeah. heart and layers to it that you feel really drawn into the character and you're rooting for her. Um, yeah, I think she's a really clever actor and I would love to have the opportunity to like sit down and hear more about like her process, whether she even has a process, mm. whether it's just like she vibes with it because some actors are like that where they can just yeah. read a script and they get it. Um, some actors are mega like they're in the books trying to figure out what these what makes these characters tick it'd be interesting to see whether a lot of it is instinctual it would be interesting to hear how she goes about bringing out these characters because it it just always feels so truthful absolutely and I I also wanted to to say if you want to see her in a comedy that's actually funny (laughs) there's movie that should i think be coming out soon um called what's love got to do with it that i saw at the toronto festival last year mm. uh so i really i really like her in that and i god i want to see her do like another proper period drama mm-hmm. piece because i feel like it's been a while since she's done you know something more in the lines of her merchant ivory work or sense and sensibility or something like that i'm like come on emma Let's let's get back to your roots and and do something like that. Yeah, I agree that I would love to see her in some sort of period piece again. I want her to like write another Jane Austen adaptation and play like, you know, the mum in it or something. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, so many of them have like the old rich lady mm-hmm. um character and I also I just sense sensibility is one of my favorite scripts of all time. Mm-hmm. It's so, so I good. want her to do and I know that she like worked on the Pride and Prejudice script too, because uh, Joe Wright like asked her to to help him with it, mm. and I just want to see her do more writing like that. Yeah, Emma, if you're listening, babe, you know you know what the people want. You know what we want. Yeah. Um, are there any other like performances of hers or like films that are your favorites of hers beyond In the Name of the Father? Yes. Okay, I've got a few. Um, Much Do About Nothing is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think that her Beatrice is absolutely perfect. It's my favorite Shakespeare play and she just nails it. Um, So I really love that one. I mean, obviously I love The Remains of the Day and Howard's End. How could you not? Um, I also, obviously, I love Love Actually. Uh, And I think that she gives like a really subtle moving performance in that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think her and her and... um, Hugh Grant being reunited is so fun, but I also really like her, you know, small role in an education, which is a film that I love. Uh, And I love Carrie Mulligan and getting to see her act with, you know, another great British actress, I think is so fun. And um, I even, I really loved her in Cruella. I was about to say the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. And I like her as Nanny McPhee. I like getting to see her do these like, big campy Mm. uh performances with you know crazy costumes and everything i think that's so fun and i definitely sort of feel like too whenever you've had the career that she's had like yeah why not do cruella yeah (laughs) that's what i think it's nice when actors get to this point in their career where they kind of have a bit more freedom over what they can do and they Mm -hmm. can go for the passion projects and that's where every actor wants to be but unfortunately when you first start out you can't be like that you have to go where the work is and you have to be quite um if 
you know, if you want to work for a long time, you have to be quite clever about what work you take. So I think it's nice when you see, you know, actors get to this point and, you know, she can go off and do, you know, Matilda and Nanny Mm -hmm. McPhee and all of these sort of different um, films where she can just kind of play and have fun. And I also, I really admire that she's not an actress who feels like they're really chasing awards or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that she definitely seems like someone who picks pieces because she is interested in them or thinks that it's a role that would be, you know, either something quite fun or something quite different. Um, and isn't just, you know, you get some of those actors who who feel like they're just searching for that Oscar nomination mm-hmm. continually. And I feel like there's definitely no whiff of that in her career. I mean, even in her early career, like even mm-hmm. with like things like Howard's End, I mean, that could potentially be because she won the Oscar quite early on. So I don't yeah. know whether that kind of relieves right. a bit of stress from people for constantly trying to seek it out. So. Like she's got it. She's got two of them. You know, she can kind exactly. of just vibe now. Um, and I do, I do yeah. think that offers quite a lot of freedom. Yeah. And I think the fact that in the first, like, what, six years of her career, she gets her acting Oscar and her writing Oscar. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, all right, there you go. Now you can do what you actually want to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have to ask the question, even though we've kind of answered it already. Um, okay. Which film did you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what it is. Honestly, if I said Junior, I feel like that would be one of those, like, it's a hostage situation. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, I'd have to end the podcast I'm, here I'm now. screaming for help. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, obviously, I preferred In the Name of the Father. Uh, definitely can see why it is higher <laughs> rated than Junior. Um and Junior, you know, it's not like one of the worst movies that I've ever seen, but it's definitely the kind of thing that if someone said that they were thinking about watching it, I would be like, no, absolutely, don't do that to yourself. I did prefer In the Name of the Father, in case you didn't get it. I always like to ask people if there is anyone else that you think I should discuss on here. Okay, so I was thinking about this. Um, I think that a great candidate for this <laughs> would be Tom Holland, um, mm-hmm. because my boy has done some truly horrific movies. Uh, I think that Kira Knightley would be quite a fun one mm. um, because she's had such an interesting career. Uh, I also, as someone who has seen nearly everything that he's done, think that Tom Hiddleston would be a really fun person to discuss. Mm. Interesting. I like that you yeah. were you were back in the Brits there. I. <laughs> you can tell my taste truly from that. <laughs> Um, do you want to tell the people where they can find you on the socials? Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Nicole Ackman 16. And you can find my work uh, at a variety of places. I've got link trees on all my social medias, but mostly over at Awards Watch, at Ready, Steady, Cut. And then I am the managing editor of Oscar Central, where we cover sort of all things film, but then also are truly in our, our big season right now with the Oscars coming up. So we are very busy over there. Uh, definitely make sure to check it all out thank you so much for joining me today this has been the best discussion um oh my god thank you for having me (laughs) the absolute like deep darkness of talking about in the name of the father and then the chaos (laughs) of talking about um junior uh so i really appreciate you taking the time to join me today i hope you had fun yes i did (laughs) and um, i'll just say to the listeners and that i will see you next time on better than bad 
Join me next time on Better Than Bad when I'll be joined by Claire and we'll be talking about Melissa McCarthy's highest and lowest rated films. We'll be talking about the films St. Vincent and Cook-Off. See you then.